This is show number one with actor-comedian, the one and only Kevin Pollack. My name is Jeff Stein. I'm a business owner and lifestyle entrepreneur. Every week I interview business owners, athletes, and celebrities with the specific intent of teaching you how to achieve what these amazing individuals have accomplished, but to do it in a fraction of the time by cutting out the trial and error. I hope you're ready. Let's accelerate. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for letting me come to your beautiful home. Well, we'll see about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. When it I... may be a rented home. I'm not, you know, we can't. Uh... Yeah. No, this is a great kickoff to the accelerated life. And uh, I was, uh, the other day I was, I told my son, I said, uh, yeah, I'm going to go do this interview in, you know, in LA. And he said, who are you doing it with, Dad? And I said, Kevin Pollack. And I, I knew he, he wouldn't know. He's 12 years old. And he goes, well, what does he look like? So I, I brought him up on my phone and I showed, I showed him a picture of you. And he goes, Cupid. And I said, what? And he said, Cupid. He goes, Cupid. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Sure. I don't know what he's talking about. Santa uh, Claus 2 and 3. Right. And that's, that's what he said. And I'm like, he that's, was, huh? That's and crazy. I'm like, no, that's Lieutenant Sam Weinberg from <laughs> A Few Good Men. That's, right. You know, that's Philip Green from Casino. You yeah, know? it's not Cupid. That's Todd Hockney. That, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and then he asked me, he goes, can I see those movies? I'm like, oh, not yet, son. Yeah, yeah. Th- those movies are coming your way soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, so the accelerated life, as we've talked about before, is all about doing our best to cut through, you know, trial and error and, uh, uh, you know, get to an accelerated rate of uh, discovery with your own personal gifts and success in life wherever, you, uh, um, wherever you're headed. And I, as I read your book, I pulled out so many nuggets of things you did right, things you did wrong, mm-hmm. risks you took. Sure. And it's it's those kind of things that I want to, uh, you know, want to kind of delve into. Okay, great. Yeah. We can talk about anything. I just thought when we put these on, we were going to be calling the Super Bowl. <laughs> Is there not a ball game that we're, <laughs> look at him run. Sorry, I just well, had to say that at, once. At, at least with these, I can I can move around. I don't yes. have to stick close to the. That's uh, right. And look ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, when you were 10, yes. Take me back to that. Sure. Uh, you heard Cosby for the first time and it changed you. His first album. Yeah. So my parents bring home the comedy album, me and my brother, uh, he's two years older. They just sat us down, my dad, and we listened to this comedy album. So it was the first time I'd ever heard of a comedy album. Albums were about music. So this is what, what happens. I, you know. Now, the album's played on a stereo hi-fi, which is a seven-foot-wide piece of furniture that the stereo was in. That's how you did it back then. Compare that to the iPod. Kind of crazy. Right. Uh, And so then we sat back and looked at this piece of furniture and heard this guy talking from the album telling stories on his first album. And now I'm seeing my parents laughing uncontrollably. I, I find it funny what he's saying, but I don't understand all of it. I'm 10. Um, what I do understand is that my parents are laughing uncontrollably, which was as unnerving to a 10-year-old as seeing them weep openly. <laughs> it was that weird to see my parents lose it right, like that. Right. So I became a little more interested and a little more obsessed with what is happening. What is this? Yeah. 
what's going on here? Yeah. The guy tells stories. <clears throat> parents lose, lose their it. minds. Right, right. What, what, is, what is that? So then shortly after when no one was around during the day, I would come home from school. My dad's at work. Mom's at work. Brother's out playing basketball, whatever. I would put on the album and I would listen to it by myself. I don't know that I had a game plan to study it, but it was just fascinating at first. So then fascination becomes I'm enthralled by what it must be like to be the person telling these stories. I hadn't seen a comedian. So then I had to use my imagination to picture him standing on a stage with an audience, which you can hear on the album. The audience is laughing. Yeah. So I put myself into the scene imagination wise. Then before I knew it, I was standing in front of the stereo and lip syncing as if I were the guy performing. Didn't know what lip syncing was, that it was a thing. You did, okay. Didn't think I invented it. I was just playing. Right. There were no interactive games. <laughs> we had just invented fire. <laughs> it was a while ago. Uh, so I, I, I don't, because I was just playing, there's, there was no, and then I did this and then I did that right, about right. it. You just, I just found myself standing in front of the, Wanting to be the guy telling the story. Yeah. So after doing, then I would sneak home after work, after was school. It, was it, I want to make my parents laugh or I want to become him? What well, were initially the fascination was, how did that guy make my parents lose it? And then Got the fascination it. grew to, wow, listen to the audience on that album losing their minds. Right. These total right. strangers. What must that feel like? Mm. And then becoming more fascinated with, you just tell stories and people love you? Right. Wow. Oh, I see. The stories are really funny. That's a big part of this. And then realizing that's all of it. Right. Oh, no, there's timing. And then I think as I was standing up and lip syncing it, that's when I was studying the timing because he would clear his throat on the album and I would clear my throat at that exact moment. And when a little 10-year-old precocious kid is lip syncing and then clearing his throat when the album does, my mom came home early one day day when I was sneakily doing this and caught me. I say caught me because it felt the same way as if she caught me doing something else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, this right, wasn't for right. anyone to see. This was your thing, yeah. Yeah, this was... Um, and she and just was laughing uncontrollably at the sight of me doing this. Like she was watching me for a while before she let me know that right. she was watching. And she said, that's it, you're doing that at the Zucker's for Passover. <laughs> You don't know the Zuckers, but they're good people. <laughs> Anyways, so I'd never thought about doing it for anyone else. Yeah. It really was something I was doing for me. So my mom's validation, first person saw me see saw me doing it, made me think, oh, it isn't just fun. This is funny what I'm doing to someone else. Uh I hadn't written the material. I hadn't created the timing. I was just mimicking it. Right. I didn't, again, I didn't know that was a thing. Right. And then I did it for others. And then that really became a life trajectory of this is what I'm going to do. How many kids at 11 know exactly what their path is? You're very few, right? None. I mean, it's, yeah. it's. It's been a blessing and a curse. <laughs> More of a blessing. Sure. What did that affirmation from your mom? I mean, was that like, I know I'm going to make it. I know I can. What was your thought at 10 years old knowing mom loved it. She died and she's affirming this in me. Yeah. 
Well, the same way that Hib, the first time I heard the album and heard the stories coming from the furniture that made my parents laugh, now I was the person making yep. them laugh. Yeah. I, because I was only 10, I wasn't thinking in terms of like I would later. You got to write your own material. You got to, you know. I was just thinking, I'm doing, I'm playing make-believe, and my mom is laughing uncontrollably, and then eventually 40 people gathered at the dinner at the Zookers when I did it on their fireplace for all of them and put the album on and cleared my throat at the exact moment. Now I knew, oh, this is an act. Yeah. So even at that ridiculous young age, and then my parents let me watch The Tonight Show when a when Bill Cosby was on and other comedians were on, and yeah. then I became obsessed with watching comedians and collected them like my friends collected baseball right. cards. Yeah, I remember you saying that in your book. Yeah. I don't know if you realized it at 10, but you know, it's like one of those success principles that everybody talks about is visualization. And you had mentioned at 10, you visualized the people clapping for Cosby. They were cheering and clapping for you. That's right. That's I mean, right. You made it real in your mind. Like these people are referring yeah. me like my mom. Yeah. Yeah. And then later my mom... Um, she was the first person when I was probably 16, talked to me about visualization. Really? She, yeah. She said, I had a basketball game the next day and she said, she noticed I was concerned about it. It was a big game. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, tonight when you're going to sleep, just picture mm -hmm. in your mind shooting and then look at, visualize the basket. And every time you shoot, it goes in just Dribble down the way you normally would, see the other players, go up for the shot, take it, and then watch it go in. Don't don't visualize it. You have memories of it not going in. Don't visualize any of those. Right. Every single time you shoot, it goes in. And the next day, I had the high score of the year, for sure. No kidding. Ridiculous. Really? I mean, I tried it again the following week, and I wasn't the high scorer, <laughs> so it didn't work every time. <laughs> right. But... To the to her credit, um, about I don't know. I think this all came back to me maybe 15 years ago. This um, the strength of visualizing a big picture. Mm -hmm. And on New Year's Eve, I now picture what I want to happen in the new year, in terms of what what bigger accomplishments I want to go after, and um, that are that are realistic. Yeah, you know, I don't visualize that I'm going to win the lottery or, or an Academy Award, but I see myself on the set of something. I see myself um, performing for people in, in, in a way that's new and exciting. And, you know, so visualization for me, um, you have to see it first hmm. for yourself to see that it's actually possible. And, and that, especially from your book, that brings me to so many different things that you had mentioned in your book. You know, you talk about the confident actor versus the actor who's not confident, you know, auditioning, right. Auditioning. And yeah. you know, the guy that goes in there with confidence and I think absolutely visualizing and believing in yourself. Like I'm going to put the work in and you talk about that a lot. You're not just happenstance, but I'm going to work my butt off to get where I'm at. And then, um, and it's funny how things seem to happen for you when, when, you know, people put that in place, but, but visualizing where you're going to go after you visualize the people cheering for you, were you still 10 when you like did it in front of like a thousand kids at a school? His act his, it was the Noah's Ark act, right? Yeah. It was, uh, his first album, Noah and the Ark. It was, uh, like a three piece in a row. 
routine. Um, and I first started performing it at school maybe a year later. Okay. And I, I did that act, the lip syncing different bits of his from the album at various functions throughout the year until I graduated, until I was about in senior year. Um, so it would be assemblies and it would be the folk festival and it would be the father daughter dinner dance, whatever various functions throughout the year that someone in the, a school administration thought we need variety of entertainment, right. any sort of variety show. Yeah. They would ask me to do it. And, and yeah, eventually I, I remember I did it for a full assembly of all. I went to a three grade high school. Um, so just uh sophomore, junior, senior. Okay. So, but just that many students all assembled and they, I, there were a few other performances, but me doing that. So that was the largest audience and I was probably 15, you know? Okay. So, and I didn't know everyone. I knew a lot of them, but you know, there's probably easily a thousand kids. Really? Oh, sure. And teachers. At 15 years parents, old. Parents. Yeah. You know, there was a, it was kind wow. of a big deal, Absolutely. but, but I've never been nervous. That was the other weird thing, um, that others had to bring to my attention. Why aren't you ever nervous? Yeah. Or, or, or the incessant question, do you get nervous? And then I finally realized I was getting excited. Like the very first time I did a tonight show, I'm standing behind the curtain where I had been with other friends, Jerry Seinfeld, Gary Shandling, whenever you do an appearance on the tonight show with Carson back in the day, you would bring a couple of your friends just as support group, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'd been standing there before the guy pulls back the curtain and they walked out. Right. Now it's my turn. Okay. Macaulay's going to pull back the McCurtain. The McCurtain. Oh, he and, does. And Macaulay would, actually pulls yeah, back the curtain. Yeah. Back, uh, in the, back in the day. I don't okay. know how they do it now. I mean, it's supposed to be a stagehand, I'm sure. Um, so I remember standing there the very first time and this is supposed to be the most nerve wracking experience of my life to that point on paper. That's how it reads. Yeah. If you're going to be nervous now it would be, be now. Time. Yeah. You've got you're going to go out and you're going to sit <laughs> on the couch next to Johnny Carson and what you do in that six minutes yeah. may change the course of your life. Might, might not. That's up to you. So on paper, this is supposed to be the most nerve-wracking day of your life. Yeah. It may or may not change your life when you walk out there. Because it might change your life, you're supposed to be more nervous. And I just felt like um, you're in your bedroom Christmas morning. Your parents have told you to stay in your bedroom until they tell you it's time to come out. That level of excitement yeah. and anticipation. Yeah. You're not nervous in that situation. You're unbelievably excited because the only thing waiting for you on the other end of that door is fun and and greatness and surprise. Right. So that's what I've always likened it to. Huh. In, in but you put thousands of hours of mm -hmm. training. Before that moment? Yeah, into your impressions, into <laughs> yes. your comedy. Yeah, I mean, no, I was over-prepared. Yeah, okay. Uh, You've been on the Gr Merv Griffin show, what, three times prior to this? Yeah, you know, Merv was what Ellen DeGeneres is now. He had an afternoon <laughs> show uh, that everyone watched. Right. He had an afternoon yeah. show that everyone watched, and it was a variety show. But it didn't make careers. 
Um, Except for Charles. Not like tonight's show made careers. Uh but it was as viewed. It wasn't as revered. Right. It was as viewed um, by the country. So, yes, yeah, so, so to get on there as a new comedian was also a big deal. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, I'd been doing stand-up from the age of 10, right? Yeah. And here I am on The Tonight Show. I probably was, I don't know, 28, something like that, 28, 29. Okay. okay. Um, so... 18, 19 years in the making. Right. Uh, I turned pro when I was about 21. So that is seven or eight, nine years um, of doing it as a profession. Yeah. Um, more than put in a thousand hours on stage, for sure. Let me ask you your take on, um, you know, when, when, when we think about people being successful in whatever they want to do. I think a lot of people get caught up in trying to think outside the box. And I mm-hmm. think think outside the box kind of maybe is a wrong way of thinking a lot of times. I mean, if you're an inventor or you're an artist and you're going to paint something that nobody's ever painted, you know, that's one thing. You know, but people that want to start a business, mm-hmm. you know, they want to start a brick and mortar or they want to become an actor. It's been done. Yeah. And when I look at you from 10, you first started by copying Bill Cosby. Right. You know, and that kind of invented you yeah and then you went on to uh you know impersonate you know falk and you know and and johnny carson and so many things that had been done you put the time in you did the same work and you have become successful uh what what do you but so many people will say trying to think outside the box and go what should i do what should i there's so many things to do that if you just put the time in that you can become successful and what you don't have to invent a new path. Um, you don't have to invent a new way to do stand-up comedy. You don't have to invent a new way to act in TV or film or on stage. You have to study the greats. Um, I was always a voracious reader of uh, autobiographies. Mm-hmm. It, it beget me doing this internet talk show, the chat show, because I'm fascinated by people's journeys. How did you get from there to here? Mm. So that's what I got from reading those books, uh, autobiographies of various actors and comedians. So I guess by studying those people in the books and studying what the greats had done, the same way that I studied the Bill Cosby album and then later watched Peter Falk doing Columbo and studied his movements, I was sort of learning how to act by studying actors acting. I never attended an acting class. That's amazing. You, you, so you never, I mean, that's hard for people. We grow up in an atmosphere now where everything is just following a, a mold. You know, you graduate high school, you go to college. Because if you don't go to college, you're not going to be anything. Right. That may be true if you're a doctor. I mean, I like my doctors to go to college, but you. I would prefer my attorney. Go getting, to law school. Getting a degree. Right. But you say know for certain things or just your craft or what? Um, it really depends on, on what your line of work is going to be, what your path is going to be as to whether um, university is even part of your uh, focus and, and your, your journey. And so to me, acting class, um, it, didn't, it didn't seem to make any sense because I wasn't necessarily interested in the learned technique and the learned um, 
skill set as opposed to jumping in and on hands experience doing anything um it, to me is always going to be the quicker path to gaining your own skill set um if you can have a great mentor walk you through like we spoke before the way a father might to a son here's the mistakes i made here's a few areas you may want to avoid right i still expect you to be set out into the world and make your own mistakes and make your own way right but let me at least impart on you my 40 years of doing this right a little a little heads up and the first thing that happens when you work on a set or on anything and you don't know your way around someone will just tell you right <laughs> craft service is over there if you need anything to eat right uh there's an ad over here if you want something just ask i remember the very first time I was on on location working on a movie uh, you know you're in a separate town I think I wrote about this in the book I packed because it was a three month shoot in Baltimore I packed as if I had, was moving to Baltimore suitcases of three months <laughs> worth of clothing right I get there and other actors who had done movies said you know you can wash your clothes <laughs> right, while you're right, here right. you just needed to bring yeah. maybe few changes yeah, yeah. yeah right. a week's worth of clothes right, right. and then i needed to mail a letter and i went to the production office i need to mail a letter oh yeah here's a stamp um just little things that you learn by being on 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 the set on on hands right so to me i've applied that all all along the way and that's what i would love to impart on others which yeah. is you don't know how to do something until you're trying to do it uh, someone can tell you when you do it, avoid these things. Right. That's helpful. Yeah. And then get in there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. But comedians want to, uh, younger guys or whatever age, new people will ask me on Twitter, ask me in person my whole life, you know, right. for, for how, how did you get started sort of thing. Right. I want to be a comedian. What should I do? Right. And I say, find a stage and get up there. Just like that. Just get Just get on stage. Just leap. Yeah. Don't, well, don't I have to put together a great act? No, because it's your first time you've been on. No one expects you to be good. Right. So find some topics you want to talk about. And Now, do you say that just because you know if they try to follow this long process, they'll never do it anyway? There'll be too many roadblocks? And if you just get up there and do it, even though you're going to stink, you've jumped in, you'll probably continue? What's your thought? I mean, why do you tell them just to do it, even it, knowing they're going to stink? It needs to be your passion, is what I tell them. Are you ready to give your life over to this thing? If you're ready to give your life over to this thing, then you need to know how exciting it is to do it. Right. Not be told how exciting it is to do it. Right. So get up there and do it. And even if it doesn't go well, there'll still be a few moments where it went great. Right. And you'll never forget that feeling. Ever. Get, no. Get ever. to do that. That's yeah. a ridiculous drug that happens wow. when you're on stage. Actual endorphin is released. So get a taste of that and you'll know whether or not you're ready to give your life to it. You you can't sit down in front of a blank page and write jokes until you get on stage and and truly understand what it means to have that feeling because that will dictate what you're writing and how you write it and what you want to say. Yeah, give yourself a, a couple of jokes, sure, to get up there, or or topics. Again, nowadays you don't really have to write jokes unless you want to be a joke teller. Right. Um, and there's various versions of that. You know. 
nowadays you can get on stage and just have some topics that you want to talk about. But more importantly, to the point, I just tell people, if you want to do it, if you want to know how you get started, the answer is you get on stage. Get ready to do it. Let me just get on stage. Well, you, you, you did Falk, you said at home, for weeks. Totally in character. You would dress like him because I want to go you know, a, a little forward to sure. kind of where you got your, your – or what – what was your break and then a disappointment when you got pulled backstage. But when you did Falk, you said that you dressed like him. You'd walk around for weeks in the house, not breaking character. Did your family think you were crazy? Or Sure. I mean, I was also 16 years old. And, and you said it took three months to do the eye thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Nobody Some, showed you how to do that. Something like that. Well, I, I did make uh, – Peter Falk was very open about having one glass eye. Yeah. Uh, I remember – when his show Columbo was on the air and a, and a huge hit, you know, TV guide will do interviews with yeah. stars of shows. And he talked very openly since age three, he had a glass eye and he gave a few examples about where he found humor in it. Playing little league slid into second, got called out, popped out his eye, handed it to the ump and said, you clearly need this more than I do. You know, so it made it fair game right. yeah. since he was talking about it. Yeah. So then I saw Mel Brooks' movie when his wife, in the film, a close-up of her face, Anne Bancroft is the actress's name, she looked into camera and did this. <laughs> so I realized if you isolated <laughs> one half of that, yeah. and if, the, if you crossed your eyes and then looked to the left and then crossed your eyes and then looked to the left, uh -huh. it would look like just one eye is moving. So I, I just got that notion like a scientist from watching her do it. Yeah. I broke it down. Yeah. Because I'd never seen someone do that with their <laughs> eyes, right? And I thought, what if you just did one part? Peter Falk's got one eye. And then I just started that. And then, of course, your mother sees you crossing your eyes and says, don't do that. They'll stick like that. And then I remember many years later, I was at a doctor's office and I said, you know, I've been doing this Peter Falk impression all these years. And I remember my mom saying my eyes were going to stick. They never did. But have I done some damage? Because I realized if I, if I count up the number of shows I do per week, per month, per year, I've been doing this to my eyes a lot. Yeah. And he said, I wish everyone exercised their eyes. What? Yep. He says it's a good thing to do. Yep. So you could teach a class on that. Exactly. <laughs> I just did. Yeah, 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 you did. And I made it to 49 before yeah. I needed reading glasses. Is that right? Yeah, I'm just good. saying it's yeah. pretty late in life. Yeah. Uh, after practicing this, yeah. you, I think, is another uh, success principle. Yeah, but a success principle is you positioned yourself. That's right. And you talk about positioning yourself in front of Rich Little, one of your heroes. Well, he was the impressionist comedian, number one. No one even close. Okay, so you... Put on the Falk outfit, the Colombo outfit, yeah. right? And yeah. you go to his show. Yes. Okay. I, I cosplayed at a Rich Little show. <laughs> it's the lamest. It's the nerdiest. You know, but it was... Was this a... It was 1974. Okay. First of all, little perspective in terms of there was no cosplay and there was... No, the word <laughs> nerd hadn't been really talked about. And I think about now, if someone showed up to one of my shows dressed up as as Jason Statham, right. whatever, and walked towards stage and then was doing the impression, how I would react. Yeah. I don't know that I would have been as gracious as he was. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I saw in the paper, Rich Little was coming to a theater near where I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. And 
I thought I'll go to the show dressed as Peter Falk in, with the overcoat and the white shirt and a little black tie. I'll have a cigar and I'll walk up to the stage and I'll say, excuse me, Mr. <laughs> Little, I'm sorry. I hate to bother you, sir. And he'll, he'll see that. Yeah. And maybe he'll be impressed. And so I'll get the number one guy at doing this. I'll see it in his eyes, what he thinks of it. And I'll know that I should keep doing what I'm doing. And, and that was the original game plan. Now, the show wasn't happening right at that moment, but he was, like, around or what? Um, I mean, he was in the middle of this bit when, when you When I eventually this. did it, he was, I was in the audience. He was on stage. And I was waiting for what I thought would be a good time to get out of my seat and good. walk down to the stage. Had, I'd been performing at that point. I was 17. I'd been performing, you know, mostly at school. But I knew what it meant to be on stage, and I knew that the audience was all paying attention to the to that person. Yeah. And getting up out of your seat and walking down the stage was not something that normally happened. So I was preparing myself for also being thrown out. Yeah. Uh, would there be security? I looked around. There didn't seem to be any. And since I was in character and not appearing as a threat of any kind, yeah. maybe maybe people would laugh. As I was walking right, down. Right, So I thought if I get out of my seat and I missed a little, pardon me, sir, <laughs> then I would gather some momentum from the audience. But I had enough, even though that sounds wildly disrespectful to him to interrupt his show, yeah, I had enough yeah. respect to wait till there was a moment in his act where he had just finished this long five, six minute piece involving a lot of different characters, which he'd already done three or four of those. So as he was doing those, I thought, you know, at the end of one of those long pieces the audience is laughing and he goes to the stool and he gets a drink of water and he, he does a tally towels his forehead a little or a handkerchief whatever it was um that would be a good time to walk down it would be more respectful to do it during a break than during his talking so sure enough i waited for the fourth or fifth of those little breaks got out of my this is it and i get up i borrowed my friend larry uh father's overcoat for the Columbo overcoat. Larry was with me at the time. Mm -hmm. I got up out of my seat and like most uh, sort of London fog overcoat, raincoats, there's a belt on it. So the belt buckle sticks in, gets caught in the seat and yanks me back. Imagine that. No. I timed out this incredible moment. No. I'm going to seize my future. I'm going to have the nerve to do this. I'm going to basically take the reins of my own destiny. Right. And the belt in the seat said, no, no. <laughs> You're staying right here. Not so quick. Yeah. Literally the metaphor oh, of being yanked man. back. Uh, it's crazy. Well, I just ripped the belt out of the loops. And, and was kept on going. My, yeah. I was on my way. Pardon me, Mr. Little. Excuse me, sir. I hate to bother you. The audience, sure enough, along the way was starting to laugh. Who's this guy? Oh, my God. He's doing Columbo. Look at this guy. They don't know if I'm a plant. The audience doesn't know. And you're 17, why right? Why I'm there. You're 17. I'm 17. I'm clearly not a man in his 30s, <laughs> as Peter Falk probably was, or yeah, maybe yeah. 40s. And it's just a, the, again, the audience probably had no idea if it was planned. Yeah. I get down the stage, and Rich Little turns around from his, drinking his water from the stool, and he sees me, and he's, and he's got the microphone, of course. Oh, my, ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Columbo. And he walks over to the side of the stage and says, hey, Columbo, what's up? What, 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 you know, no way. Puts the microphone down. No way. And I was not prepared for a conversation. I really didn't think it would get that far. Yeah. 
So I just said, what oh, did you, What did geez. you think was going to happen? Again, I thought, I just want him to see me and say, oh, that's funny. Gotcha. I go back to my seat or I'd be escorted out. Okay. I, I hadn't visualized beyond that. Okay. An actual conversation or anything else. <laughs> I wish I had. Okay, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Go, go. So, Lieutenant Columbo puts a microphone down and I say, ah, pardon me, Mr. Little, I hate to interrupt. I don't mean to be a patient. And then he takes the microphone back and then he starts doing Peter Falk. Like we're playing together. Right, but he doesn't do it, right? Peter Falk is not in his arsenal. <laughs> he doesn't do a good Peter Falk. Mm. He, he maybe hadn't even tried to do Peter Falk until that moment. Yeah. Because I can instantly tell that it's off. He can instantly tell that it's off and puts the mic back down to me. Now, I notice that his Peter Falk is off. I notice him see that his Peter Falk is off. And in a panic, the mic, this all happens mm. in a tunnel. Put the microphone back in front of me. Now my voice goes up an octave because I'm freaking out. That You're making him look bad. He freaked out. Right. Yeah. And so then my, my impression starts to sound a little wave, wavering, whatever. And he then senses that, takes the microphone back and says, Come on on stage, Columbo. Get up here. Come on. Right. Well, <laughs> that's a bizarre thing. You're going to kick it up to the next level yeah, instead of saying, hey, right. nice nice job, kid, and send me back to my seat? Yeah. Well, going on stage with Rich Little was, if you would ask me, what do you want to happen, that would have never come up. Well, now 2,000 people are applauding. I'm walking around the side of the stage. I walk up on stage. Still no security, no anybody. Crazy, 1974, whatever. I walk up the steps. Now, for the first and only time in my life, I literally have this sort of tunnel vision thing where I can't really see the audience. I just see him as I'm walking towards the best in the world at doing wow. this. Wow. And he's talking as I'm walking towards him. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Colombo, Lieutenant. Yeah, right up here. Come on. So what, uh, what brings you to the show? Put the microphone in my face. And I say, well, Mr. Little, I tell you what. Uh, the missus and me saw in the paper you were coming to town. We got tickets six months ago, and we were very excited to see you. At the last minute, she decides she doesn't feel well, she can't come. And she told me that if I don't get your autograph, she's not letting me back in the house. So please, if I could get your autograph. And he, for an unknown reason again, it's a series of surprises and, and oddities, decides that's the moment to make fun of me or just do a what, what, what is known to me later to be a sort of heckler comeback line uh, and says, this guy better watch out or I'll do Rin Tin Tin and he'll be the tree, which dates him back to the 40s. Right, right. <laughs> Rin Tin Tin. No one watching <laughs> yeah, yeah, this knows yeah, yeah. who I'm even talking about. There was a dog who starred in movies uh. called Rin Tin Tin. So he, this guy better watch out or I'll do Rin Tin Tin and he'll be the tree. I knew who Rin Tin Tin was. The audience, and everyone laughed. So I had handed him a pen and a piece of paper when I said, if I don't get your autograph, the missus won't let me back in the house. I had handed him. Yeah. Because in my fantasy, if I had any chance to get near him, I thought there would be a line backstage. I'll get his autograph. Right. So while the audience is laughing at the Rin Tin Tin joke, yeah. he uh, undoes the the pen, the felt pen from the, takes the cap off, basically, puts the cap on the back, goes to sign it. Well, I didn't give him a 
felt pin. I gave him a ballpoint pin. And if you unscrew a ballpoint pin at the middle, right. he's now trying to sign with the back of the copper piece that holds the ink. All right. That's not how you sign. Yeah. So he sees this and he goes, look at this. Columbo gave me a broken pen. I said, I do that? I'm sorry, sir. I had no idea. I'm in character. In fact, afterwards, I realized if he had said, that's a terrific impersonation. What's your name? I don't know that I could have broke character. I was that really? freaked out in the zone. What's happening? Right. I'm on stage with him. Yeah. I stayed in character. He, I said, I'm sorry I gave you a broken pen. He says, I'll tell you what, Columbo, why don't you come back after the show backstage? Uh, there you go. I'll be happy to give the autograph for the wife. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Lieutenant Columbo, and he hands me back the piece of paper and the broken pen. The crowd goes nuts. Right. They think it was planned. I don't know what they think. I bow. I take a bow. Unbelievable. And then get off the stage, go back to my seat. How ballsy is that? Crazy. Okay. Now, because this is, we're talking about, Success acceleration, but also taking the the reins of your absolutely. Destiny. You and and I want to talk about that a little more. You putting you, yourself in place. That you never the, miss any opportunity. That's right. Yeah, and and you you've shown that throughout your career. You go backstage. We'll talk about disappointment for a sure. minute. Sure, absolutely. So you go backstage. Well, before that, yeah. I'm sitting in the audience for the for the remaining half hour of his act. Yeah. After this thing happened. Yeah. You can't imagine what's going through my mind during the 30 minutes, other than he's the most brilliant man that ever lived. Right. Larry's lost his mind. He can't believe what he saw his friend do. And I'm thinking, sitting in that seat, you heard him. He said, come backstage. That's what he show. Yeah, you're in. I'm going to go backstage. We're going to walk to his jet, and he's going to fly me to show business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, he's going right, to fly me to right, show business. Right. He's going to introduce me to the kings and queens of show business. And I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Because, again, I was going to get his validation. The validation I got was to have him bring me on stage. Yeah. We did an act together, mm -hmm. and he got the audience, ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant yeah. Columbo. You're adopted. Yeah. I'm in yeah. show business right Done. now. Done. I know I go to, got to go to high school tomorrow. I look, <laughs> but, I got, but I'm in show business. So, yes, show's over. See you, Larry. I'm going to go to show business. I go back, I go to where I think, Backstage is. Now there's a line of people. There's 30 people deep who were in seats in front of me who went to get an autograph. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that the guy who had the nerve to approach Rich Little in the middle of his act had the, those crazy cojones? What do you think that person does when he sees a line of 30 people? Do you think he, A, walks to the front of the line? Hi, you remember me. I think he's going to be escorted to the front of the line. Am I escorted, or do I get in line with the with the rest of the people? The riffraff. Yeah. Right. I get in line. Okay. Because I was raised properly. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So I got in line, and as I'm getting closer, I see Rich Little signing autographs, mm -hmm. and he's and people are coming to him this way, and he's having them leave that way, which I now know. After a show, I'll have a a. a table where i'm signing my book yeah. so i understand the flow of people yeah. so as i'm in line walking towards him i see what he's doing hi what's your name steve thank you thank you very much there you go steve hi what's your name mary hi mary oh you did thank you yeah i love johnny carson i love doing a show hi what's your name so i'm watching him move people along yeah. and i've got my pen and my piece of paper and i'm walking towards him and i'm waiting and i'm imagining what's going to happen and this is how he greets me, right? 
So I'll do one more person in front of me so you get the flow. Hi, what's your name? Chuck. Hey, Chuck. Thanks. I'm glad you made the show. Thank you very much. Up oh, here he is. Hey, what's your name? Kevin. All right. That was really funny. Good job. Hi, what's your name? No. Pete. Pete. There no. I go. There I go. Shoveled no. off to Buffalo. No. Yeah, there's no. What were you thinking? I was like, wait, well, what? I, what? I couldn't believe it. I, it was as shocking as being brought on stage. That couldn't be the outcome. Yeah, he's going to hug me. and <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, what? You know what I mean? He's going he's gonna to oh. stop the line at least long enough to have a conversation. Right. No. Got to keep that line moving. He's got to get to these people because this line is what stands between him, a cocktail, and a steak dinner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now here's what I want to know. Yeah. How long or was this crushing on you? I mean, did you... Did this fester in you, or was this not a big deal on Monday? Um, well, I very quickly learned the spin of a story. What is the spin? And the spin was everything that happened up until that point. I went to the show dressed as Peter Falk. I've got my friend Larry as a witness. I went down on the stage. He brought me on stage. Yeah. I got laughs. I got applause. I sat back in my seat. And I got an autograph afterwards. Have you always handled disappointment that way? Well, in my quiet moments, I was devastated beyond belief. Okay, okay. But when I told people about it, I didn't share my disappointment. People tell me all the time, I'm going to start this new project or I'm going to go for it, whatever it is. And then all these roadblocks get in the way. And it could be something as simple as I didn't receive affirmation from somebody I thought I was going to receive. And they never go any further. Mm. And in showbiz... As I read about you, this happens all the time. Yeah. Do you just get used to it, or is this something that's in your character and your personality? I think if you don't develop a thick skin to uh, rejection or just disappointment, then maybe much like parts of your life, you're going to have a tougher time with things. The most important thing I tell others is to not take it personally. Hmm. that anyone in this situation would have suffered the same rejection. It just didn't go your way this time. Right. You don't win every battle. Got it. Every game. Got it. Um, and for an actor, it's all about auditioning and getting parts until you get the right one where you no longer have to audition. But even then, and that happened for me after A Few Good Men, Yeah. Um, that movie was so so much of a juggernaut success at yeah. the time and, and yeah. sort of remains in the conversation. I, my agent was able to field offers for the first time. And before that he would send me out on auditions. Yeah. So that was a goal line that you cross that changes everyone's perspective. Yeah. But prior to that, I'd been on hundreds of auditions. Yeah. Um, and you start to develop the ability to audition as opposed to um, just, I'm going to do the best I can with the scene that I'm auditioning with, and chances are I won't get the part. What keeps you going? What kind of belief in yourself or knowing I'm going to get there one day, what keeps that through the, okay, next, okay, thank you, next? I mean, what keeps me from, you, you what's the name, go- Pete? <laughs> right, yeah, right. You're sort of shuffled off to Buffalo as well. Well, um, the first several is is um, you have a sense of whether you did well or not. Okay. As you're driving home, 
Mm. And you and you're tougher on yourself. Man, I could have done this. I could have done that. And then you start to realize through more experience of auditioning, um, or or having a um, if you had a, a, a work related meeting, an interview for a job. Yeah. If you've been on a few interviews for jobs, maybe you drive home second guessing yourself. I should have done this. I should have done that. But the most important thing about rejection or not getting the job or not getting the role again is you just can't take it personal. Okay. And I finally was able to validate that belief when I was on the other side of things and I'd written and was producing something and now I'm directing where people come in and audition for me. And I know from that experience, we know what we want, the other producers and I, right. in this role. Right. One actor after another comes in, we're, we're, we want you to be great. Absolutely. That's nothing an actor doesn't know, sitting out there waiting to come in. We convince ourselves out there. He's out at, there. Or at a job right. interview, they're not going to like me. They, they, they don't know what I'm capable of. I got one little moment mm -hmm. in time to, mm -hmm. to impress them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You've got to know they're they're desperate for you to be the right one. Yeah. They whether it's a job interview or an audition, they need someone to fill this role, this position. That's why they're hope holding interviews and auditions, right? Mm -hmm. They want you to be great. And if you come in and you don't offer what they have in mind that they want, it could be that you weren't tall enough it could be right. a lot of times you weren't physically right right um and then for a job interview or if you're chasing whatever the career is it could be that you're you haven't experienced enough doing this job right so you lack the level of experience they need right that simply means they know what they want right your skill set isn't there yet yeah um, so will the other 37 people that have the same skill set that you have not be ready yet. That's what I mean by not taking it. it personally. Okay, okay. So I, I, I think the key really is... Don't internalize it. Don't internalize I it. I suck. I'm no good. It's wait, not wait, what wait, it's wait. about. Right. It's about own that room. Yeah. When you go in that room, own it. Right. They'd be lucky to have you. Right, right. Period. Yeah. You're ready. Yeah. It's amazing. So at least have that mindset going in. They, I, I have found without question from those experiences, it was the times when I went in and owned the room. December 12th, 1987. Okay. Real quick, before I moved a few good men. Sure. Jim McCauley approaches you to be on The Tonight Show, and you do something that no comedian would ever do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to talk about owning the room, even with Jim McCauley, the talent producer for... Yeah. Johnny. Jim McCauley was, was the segment producer whose job it was to find new comedians or bring back previously uh, loved comedians. Right. He was in charge of the segment of the show where the comedians would come on. There was a person who handled the actors. There was a person who handled the singers. Yeah. Jim McCauley was a guy in charge of comedians. And he would hang out at the comedy store on the improv looking for new talent and and again, I'd been to The Tonight Show as a guest of Seinfeld and Gary Shandling and Paul Reiser and other people. And I, I would see Macaulay in his workplace and we knew each other yeah. at some point. So yeah. when he approached me that night at the improv, we knew each other 
And I was, hey, Jim, mm-hmm. that comfortable. Mm-hmm. I had gotten way past trying to impress him. Um, I didn't want to force the issue. This was a guy you couldn't hustle. So I was just casual okay. with him. Hey, Jim. Hey, Kevin. And I said, uh, who are you here to see? And he said, um, well, you. Mm. And I said, no, seriously, who are you here to see? He said, well, I, I was here to see <laughs> so-and-so. And he mentioned the person's name, which I literally don't remember. But I just saw on the list that he is not coming. It canceled. So I thought I'd stick around. I saw you're on next. I thought I'd stick around and see you. I think you, you're ready to do the show, maybe. Yeah. I think you might be ready, he said. Um, and I said, well, and again, I hadn't rehearsed this moment. Mm-hmm. But I'd been in The Tonight Show many times as a guest. I'd seen how that works. I'd been doing stand-up um, for 18 years, professionally for eight years. Yeah. Um, and you studied I, and, and I studied Carson. The Tonight Show. I, I, more importantly, I studied The Tonight Show. And I saw, as I said, I collected comedians like baseball cards. Right. So I, stu- I, I saw how comedians who came out and stood on the star and did their stand-up back and then looked over at the end and Johnny Carson gave him an okay. Um, mm. There's a few of these rare moments um, where people were called over spontaneously to the couch. That happened so rare, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But I also saw comedians that I admired, like Roddy Dangerfield, Don Rickles, Albert Brooks, Steve Martin, who came out, and instead of going out and doing stand-up, they went right to the couch. Wow. Because they were so yeah. important to the business. But I saw them on the couch basically doing their act in the guise of conversation okay. and telling stories and doing things as a conversation with Johnny. And I started to realize that's a thing. Yeah. There's the stand-up and then there's the couch. You do the couch. And you're actually, as a comedian, you're doing your act from the couch. So Macaulay said, I think you might be ready to do the show for whatever reason. I said, well, um, thank you. I've waited basically since I was 10 to hear these words. <laughs> right, right. Honestly and truly, thank oh, you. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, I would love you to see this said and, and tell me what you think. But so you know, um, I've been studying the show since I was 10 years old, and I really think I will have a greater impact from the couch than I will from stand-up. Now, I know you can't bring me to the couch just because I want to start mm-hmm. my career on the tonight show couch right there's a protocol yeah i'm not as big as steve martin it's my first time on so i think jim what i'm saying is i'm willing to wait till i have a tv show or a movie where you can justify bringing me to the couch wow and then i'll do my impersonations because i've i i know johnny loves impersonations and i know that he he has done them on the show and i think if i sit next to him on the couch and i do peter falk and i do william shatner mm-hmm. i just think it'll have a much greater impact for my career and it'll be better for him and the show um crickets and he said <laughs> yeah he stared at me yeah he stared at me for what seemed like a very long time and he said well i can't argue with you mm. you would be better on the couch yeah and you're right. I'm not bringing you on the couch. <laughs> right. That's not how it works. Right, right. Um, do you have a TV show or a movie coming out anytime soon right. that we could do this? I said, um, 
No, but I'm willing to wait because I think it'll be. That's amazing. I think it'll be just a much bigger impact. And he said, well, look. um, And I said, also, I may call you back later tonight and beg for this opportunity (laughs) and and apologize for saying this. I just he said, no, no, you're not wrong. And he said, also, in the time it takes you to get a TV show or a movie, you're just going to get better Sure. At doing it. Okay, wait a second, though. Because I don't think... I, okay. It's tough to wait, wrap your brain around you're, this. You're not rich at this point. You're no, not... I'm the opposite of rich at this okay, point. Okay, all right. Then I don't think people can truly understand, grasp this. You're going to go on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. You've been invited. And you're saying, no, I think it'd be better like this, so I'm willing to wait for something that may never happen. Or were you, Kevin Pollack, going, oh, I know this is going to happen. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I did, first of all, I not only not, didn't have an, a, uh, a TV show or a movie. I didn't even have an agent. <laughs> That's the ridiculous part That's to, amazing. to keep in That's mind. Amazing. I didn't even have an agent yet for acting. Yeah. But I started to go on a few auditions because you can hear about them through the networking. Okay. Of your friends who are going on auditions. You know, yeah. you should go in on this. They yeah, say, right. well, how? Just show up, you know. So, and again, yeah, I saw the big picture. Um, but I also knew, without question, he was offering me an apple. And I was asking for the orchard. But in my mind, I felt like I could always go back and just take the apple. Mm. Let's shoot for okay. the orchard. Okay, got it. I want the big picture. Okay. And I'm 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 28 years old. I'm young enough right. to be that uh now's the time actually to set the course right. of what you want to do with the rest of your life. You weren't gambling. You were taking a calculated risk. I was risk. taking a calculated risk. Okay. Cuz right. you know I can get back on. I'm good enough to get back on. I will get better. However, yeah. I can always take the apple. Right. Um if, and I didn't tell my friends, by the way, afterwards that I had this conversation with Macaulay Cause they for fear of ridicule. I bet. Yeah, no, they would say, you're an idiot. Right. You need to call him right now. Right. We're all waiting for you this, need to and beg, you blew it. You need right. to beg for that opportunity he offered you. But again, I wasn't being disrespectful yeah. in any way, and he knew that. Okay. I wasn't saying, take your little offer and take a walk. I actually broke it down for him in such a way that he knew I knew how the show worked. And he knew that I had done my homework. So I wasn't being cocky and I wasn't being arrogant and I wasn't even filled with bravado. I was talking to him as a person saying, I know this is going to sound crazy, but what do you think of this? Yeah. Fast forward. You get cast to Willow. Yeah. You're on the show. Yeah. It took about a little over a year. Wow. And I'd seen him again around... How's it going? He would say. Um, I, I I probably went with other comedians to go to the show also, mm-hmm. and I'd see him around. And um, and he did watch me that night, and he'd seen me a few other nights, and he said, "Yeah, you're ready. Okay. So just let me know." Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I get cast in Willow. Ron Howard directing, George Lucas producing. It took a little over a year for the film to come out. I called up Macaulay and said, "This movie's coming out. You know, I'm not the star of it, right. but." My part is in it enough where you could justify bringing me out, you know. And I had the publicist from the movie also call and say, yes, we would love it if Kevin could get on The Tonight Show. 
And he said, we love Kevin here. We're ready. Let's do this. Yeah. So, yes. So. Uh, you come out, you do Falk, and you kill it. Well, so I know that the Peter Falk impression is it, – it creates such an instant involuntary reaction. <laughs> you don't need a build-up. You don't need a setup. Right. You just If you just jump into this, yeah. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> there's no way for someone – even just because you're crossing your eyes, it's stupid looking. Exactly. So once you add the voice yeah. quality and that – and Carson had Peter Falk on all the time. Yeah. Loved him. Right. Loved him. I took, yeah. So basically what I did was I took advantage – of Johnny's love for that this mm. actor. I took advantage that I knew I did the impression well enough that Rich Little had signed off See, on people it. can miss this. The research, yeah. the contemplation, right. the planning, right. positioning yourself. Also just being proactive. I didn't wait for the phone to ring. I didn't wait for my career to come to me. I created these opportunities, you know? Yeah. Um, when I was in San Francisco doing stand-up comedy and at Seinfeld or Leno or these guys would come through town, I would approach them and, and introduce myself and get to know them and say, I have designs to move to L.A. Yeah. And then they would say, when you get to town, I saw your act, you're funny, because I was opening up for them. Would you say there's just as many funny people, actors as good as you, but they never did these things. They never put themselves out there, so they're never going to be known. Well, there's a lot of skill necessary, and then there's a lot of luck necessary hmm. and that luck can be created by your putting yourself out there okay and that luck is opportunity meeting um, preparation fast forward you're on day one of a few good men okay you don't know oh so to get by the peter falk thing, okay yeah i'm sorry go ahead. No, that's all right uh I've got too much. I've got too much material, and I want to get to it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my first, my my my. Wow. It wasn't first. Wow. My my next guest wow. is uh, is a is an actor. He's a comedian. He's in a new uh, Ron Howard movie called Willow. Please welcome Kevin Pollack. And you come out from behind a curtain, and I had rehearsed. I just felt like I'm sitting next to Johnny. I felt like I'm 15 <laughs> years old again. That's amazing. And I've and I I had rehearsed in my mind what it meant to come out that curtain. I'd seen so many people do it. Yeah. And I thought about unbuttoning my coat as I walked to Johnny and waving to Doc Severson, and I thought, because I'd seen everyone do, and I thought, you've never been on before. You don't have that right to wave to Doc. Don't pretend like you know him or anyone. Okay. Be respectful. Mm -hmm. My next guest, Kevin Pollack, and I come out of the curtain, I walk over, shakes my hand, and sit down. And he says, now, I want to talk about Willow, but first, uh, somebody told me you do impersonations. Is that right? And without the first set it words. Up. You didn't set it up. The first words out of my mouth to Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show were as Peter Falk. Wow. Well, Johnny, I hate to bother you. <laughs> he instantly laughed, pushed himself away from the desk, clutching his chest. He was laughing so hard, which he does. He had, that was kind of a Carson thing. On rare occasions, but it still, you know, wasn't the first time he ever pushed himself and held his chest. Um, but it didn't happen all the time. But in that yeah. moment, I was, from from that day on, mm -hmm. I did the show two, three times a year until he retired. Wow. Because I had worked out a perfect scenario for me to be showcased, and I was right, and he loved it. Did Jim ever say, Kevin, you were right? Yeah, no, we talked about okay. it a lot. all right. Okay. Yeah. So... So I just wanted to finish the story, which was that taking the reins of my own career and destiny in telling Macaulay was based on studying The Tonight Show, doing the homework, understanding what works best for Johnny mm -hmm. and Macaulay, what's best for his job. 
and then the payoff was it it, it worked beyond my hopes yeah. and expectations. So, in the case of a few good men, yes. Okay. Your question. On day one, okay, on day one, did you know Nicholson? You never met Jack Nicholson before. I'd met Jack during rehearsal. Okay, all right, okay. But the first day of rehearsal, I hadn't right, right. So met this him. Is, so we per- hadn't met prior to the film. Okay, Tom Cruise? Hadn't met. Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland? Hadn't met any of them. Bacon, to me, Ro- you Ro- didn't know any of them. Rob Reiner, the director, was the only person I knew, which is why I got the opportunity to begin with. Okay, Yeah. so Jack Nicholson comes in, everybody's there, all these A-list actors, and then as you say in your book, I don't say... Because I think you're an amazing actor, but you say, and then there's me, Kevin Pollack. Well, I was Where's Waldo in the cast. (laughs) Yeah. So Reiner does his speech. You know, here's what we're going to do. Thanks, everybody, for coming. It's going to be a great movie. Blah, 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 blah. This is the the table read. Nobody knows who you are. No, no one knows who I am. Go ahead. Yeah. So this, again, is seizing the opportunity and making making your own, being proactive, um, there's a before rehearsal, the very first time we all meet is at the table read. It's in a big sound stage. They make a U-shaped group of tables where 40 people sit around. They've got scripts, and the people with speaking parts are going to read. We're going to read the script out loud as a cast down to people who only have a couple lines. Mm-hmm. There's executives there. There's uh, some breakfast to come in and help yourself before you sit down. When Jack Nicholson first walked in the soundstage, a hush falls over the room. So everyone is famous. I'm sitting there. Rob Reiner stands up, gives the pre-table read announcement. It's not an audition. You've already got the parts. Don't worry about how this goes. We really just want to have fun and hear it out loud just so we can all enjoy this as a little play. Um all the scenes are going to be shot out of order as a movie does. You all are never going to be together in any one room. So here's a chance for all of us to get together. And again, I'm not looking for perfection or even anything near it. Uh, So, (laughs) so just have a great time and, and, uh, and uh, welcome to the beginning of a few good men. And as he's sitting down, right, I say, and you are, Rob Reiner. So I, we, I knew him. I knew he would yeah. appreciate it. Um, but I didn't know just about anybody else. But you killed it. And yeah, I Nicholson, mean, every, everybody. Yeah, everyone couldn't believe this ridiculous thing <laughs> that right. this nobody just said. Since we only have about ten minutes left, yeah, going to uh, the usual suspects, and I was just, I, you know, just thinking about success, rejection. Usual suspects. Amazing, amazing movie. Amazing cast. But prior to the making, it reminded me of the Sylvester Stallone Rocky thing where you know he's trying to put it out there. He's poor. He finally gets a million dollars for it. And they're like, but you can't act in it. He holds out. Yeah. When you guys did the usual suspects, 22 of the 28 money men they went after to grab the movie said, no, we don't want it. 28 financiers turned down uh, a script that went on to win the Academy Award. Unbelievable. Right. And that's just vision for... Because no one famous was starring in it. you right. got to put that into perspective, too. Okay. A lot of the people from the movie are famous now. But Kevin Spacey... But Chaz, had, he wasn't Kevin Spacey, that, even at the time, was less famous than me because I had done A Few Good Men. This was 1994 right. that we did 
suspects. So so Kevin and I were up for similar parts as character actors. No one knew Benicio Del Toro at all. Gabriel Byrne was probably the most known okay, yeah. actor, but even only from Miller's Crossing, a Coen Brothers movie, which got a lot of heat in show business, but not a lot of America saw the film. So yeah. nobody was really well known at all. The Hockney role, uh, quickly, because I want to I wanna probably sure. close with this, but with the Hockney role, you were on the, what, no audition list. You didn't have to audition. Right. You were going to get the role. Right. But... You didn't think you were going to get the role, or you thought there's a chance I might not get the role, and then again, you take matters into your own hands. Took matters into my own hands. So after a few good men, I was getting offers and, d- and didn't have to audition anymore. And, and my agent and I would get on the phone and talk about what offers were out there, what interest was out there. We would go through the breakdown of projects. Yeah. And he told me about this thing called The Usual Suspects. And I said, like any other project we talked about, who's directing it? And he said, you haven't heard of him. He's a 26-year-old. Okay. Who wrote it? You haven't heard of him. He's, he's friends with the director. They're 26. They grew up together. Okay. Who else is in it? Kevin Spacey. Okay. What other projects do you have? There was nothing interesting about it. Yeah. You know, Kevin Spacey was a good actor, but he wasn't well known. Let's talk about the Denzel Washington movie. Let's talk about right, the right. De Niro movie. And uh, he says, just read it. Just read it. Do me a favor. Read it. The yeah. director is a fan. There's going to be five main characters, the usual suspects. Yeah. You're going to want to be one of them. Okay. So just read it. He had to convince me to read it. By page five, you know it's brilliant. Yeah. Like any script you read. Right. By page five, ten, it's either crap, good enough to keep reading, or ridiculous. Still the best script I've ever read. So I say to my agent, I love it. I'm in. Now what? He says, well, let me tell Brian, the director, Brian Singer, talks to Brian, calls him back, says, Brian says he's thrilled that you love the script. He is such a huge fan. Um, There are two other actors that he's promised the agents that he'll read for the part. While while I was trying to get you to read the script, Mm -hmm. he still had to audition other actors because he didn't think you were going to do it. So there's two other actors that are coming in uh, tomorrow that he, he has to see out of respect. Right. So I said, you mean there's, wait a minute, the part's mine? Yeah, yeah, he said the part is Kevin's, but I have to read these two other actors. And I said, well, what if one of these two other actors comes in and blows his mind? Don't worry about it. He said the part is yours. And I said, no, I'm not going to let some other actor come in and blow his mind. Yeah. He's not, we're not making a deal. He's going to go, he's going to see those other two actors. Yeah. He's told you the part is mine. Yeah. So tell him I'm coming in tomorrow. Tell him I don't want these other actors to take the part away. Wow. I'm going to come in. Wow. And I had an audition in a couple of years, but that didn't matter. You know, I, I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm above auditioning. Yeah. I was just thrilled. I didn't have to, do, have to it do it anymore. anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know. You weren't going to let chance or f- I just couldn't let opportunities slip away because it was someone else's opportunity to steal. Right. That was the bottom line. Yeah. And I went in and, and, and owned it and was the character. That's awesome. We'll do a lightning round. Okay. Okay. Whatever you want to do. All right. Let's just kind of do a lightning round. Tell me what these quotes mean to you that you say in your book. If you don't diversify, you won't survive diversify and work your butt off and then you say and zig and zag is that just with regards to acting or is that anything in life 
I think um, diversify your interests to give yourself opportunity to thrive in any one of those paths is just giving yourself more opportunity. Okay. Instead of being myopic and singular about one thing. Uh, and I believe this to be helpful in life as well. It will round out your character to have multiple interests and not just one. Okay. And then with regards to like media and online, you said if you're not creating, you're waiting. Yeah, that is tr just about being pro proactive and, and I think creative um, in being proactive. So an actor waits for the phone to ring. A comedian waits for the phone to ring. Right. But, I, but in life, too many people I feel are waiting for life to happen instead of going out in there and creating your opportunities. So I devised this little mantra, which is if you're not creating, you're waiting. Okay. You're waiting for the phone to ring. Right. You're waiting for life to happen. You're waiting for the girl to come in the door. Get out there. And you ask how hungry are you? And you, you said this is, a, uh, this is called the hungry actor attitude. You say uh, if a director says, gosh, you're really the perfect guy for this part, but do you ride a horse? Yeah. And you say – I have a, yeah, I have a I got a saddle, saddle in, in my trunk. trunk, right? Yeah, yeah. That that's an old uh, actor's. Um, it's one of those stories we 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 pass around, um, which is when you go in to meet with the director, someone who holds some of your career in their hands, yeah. and it's it's a fake it till you make it. Yeah, it's a piece of that, which is. Be visualize what you can do and then represent yeah. what you can do. Yeah. So even if you've never been on a horse before, if in the meeting they say, can you ride horseback? You say, I got a saddle and truck. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Not just yes. <laughs> right. Be specific. Right. I got a saddle in my trunk. <laughs> right. It's so right. stupid and hilarious, but that's what you need to do. As I close, I want to, uh, I don't want to just say, hey, thank you for the great movies you've done. Yeah. But what I want to thank you for is when you were 10 years old yeah, and the time that you put into your craft and the disappointing times that you didn't let shape you, but you did let shape you in the fact that you kept going and used them for tools to get better as opposed to just stopping in your craft. There are a million reasons to just stop and give up. I'll never make it, but you didn't let that happen because you didn't let that happen. We have uh, the most amazing impersonations ever. Some of the greatest movies that you co-starred in that, uh, that have just, it will stand the test of time and have now for 25 years. People are still loving them. So thank you for not giving up. Thank you for practicing so hard for uh, and, and allowing us to benefit from that. Yeah. Well, you're welcome, obviously. And, and I would just say in closing, if uh, don't let anyone tell you you can't do something if you believe in your heart and soul that you can, but then prove to yourself yeah. that you can. That's great. Yeah. And, if, and, and real quick, if I was knocking at your door to get candy from you, for Halloween. You better have a costume, first <laughs> okay. of all. Okay. Yeah. You better have a costume. You better mean it. Yeah. Is that what you and, and And when you answer the door oh, uh, for Halloween, <laughs> <laughs> you've already done this bit like about 150 <laughs> times. Hey, kids, <laughs> trick or treat. Wow. it's a damn good question. Quite the conundrum. Turns out, I too have a question. Which one of you little brats can guess what I've buried under my house? Hey, kids, where you going? <laughs> Come back.
I have Winston lights. <laughs> uh, Chris Walken, everybody. Yeah. Kevin, thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's show with Kevin Pollock and grabbed a hold of some nuggets to accelerate your vision by taking your career by the reins. If you enjoyed this, tune in next week when I interview an amazing business owner who I believe will give up some secrets to becoming huge on social media. Go to our website and sign up for our free webinars. Your information is secure at www.theacceleratedlife.com. Until next week, don't lose momentum. Keep pushing hard and accelerate.